Good morning. Okay, that's weak, but I'll accept it. All right, we're going to start uh, reading the scripture uh, just where uh, Ron left off in Genesis chapter 15. But before I start, I want to tell you how this sermon came about, at least briefly. We're covering uh, Genesis in our chapel Sunday school class, and it came my turn to teach Genesis chapter 15. And during that lesson, I was struck anew at at least one profound piece out of this text. There are probably weeks and weeks worth of sermons that could be preached from this chapter. I'll only touch on one implication today that has particular application to us as we come to the Lord's Supper. So let's pick up our reading. It's on page 14 in uh, your pew Bible, Genesis chapter 15, beginning in 12, and I'm going to read down through the first part of 18. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Now this is after he has cut the pieces of the animals in two and has been protecting them for some time, and then this happens, a deep sleep falls upon him, a deep darkness. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Ammonites or Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. And then the verses continue to talk about the land that Abraham will inherit. I want to begin today by giving you a story that I hope by the end will tie this all together for you. You know, Dee, uh, my, my family and I, Dee, my wife and I, and our children, Amy and Brian, lived in Ukraine for about six years with Mission to the World. During that time, particularly the first year, was incredibly difficult. We had a MTW leader from Atlanta who came over, took one look at our apartment, and said, people in Africa don't live like this. This gentleman obviously does not have the gift of encouragement, does he? It was so bad. Uh, we even had, uh, we were doing everything in Russian. We were trying to learn Russian as quickly as we could. We had ongoing plumbing problems, which meant we had ongoing neighbor problems. Trying to deal with all that in Russian. We had a dog that was so bad, his name was Max. He was torturing us in every way he could imagine. And he was so bad that he was momentarily famous within MTW. That's how bad Max was. In the midst of all this, uh, one day I came into the kitchen. Dee had, I call it terry cloth, she calls it chenille. I say, I say both words so both the men and the women will know what I'm talking about. But she had this robe that was kind of fuzzy. She was standing with her back to me at the stove cooking breakfast. And I, her robe looked perfectly fine the day before, but I noticed that it had two big, round, black, burned spots, one on each shoulder, about six inches around. looked like it had almost burned through. It had been so stressful. 
you know, before this incident, it had been so stressful that we could believe almost anything might happen. So in my husbandly wisdom, I said, well, what happened? Great opening line, huh? So she's stirring the stuff. She never turns to me. She never looks up. She says, I was on fire. Husbands, take notes. This is what you say next. Well, you're out now, aren't you? She said, yeah. I said, what's for breakfast? That is literally the dialogue that happened that morning in our kitchen in Odessa, Ukraine. It was so stressful. I had broken out in hives uh, and had hives on my torso and my arms. Now this, you know, we had been in the Air Force already at that point. V had sent me off to the Gulf War. We'd been through fighter weapons. We'd been through a lot of stuff that was stressful, but nothing had I'd ever done had caused this kind of stress in my life. A few months later, we moved to a house, and we thought that would be better. And it was in some ways, but it came, the, winter, the weather turned cold, and the house had a water boiler and had radiator heat. So again, we're learning Russian, right? So in the difference in Russian between open, like open the valve and close the valve, is a prefix on the front of the word. I got them reversed. So I opened the wrong gas valve and closed the right gas valve. And now I'm laying on the floor with a little short match underneath this thing trying to light the pilot. You can only imagine what happens next. All I remember is that the world went red and orange, and I started rolling backwards as fast as I could. And Dee was yelling, are you okay? Are you okay? The way I remember it, I said, shut up and put me out. The way she remembers it, it was much nicer. I just said, put me out. In any event, the next day, we got a call from our, the children's school teacher. The kids were going to a one-room schoolhouse with an American teacher. The teacher calls and says, well, in her, in her school teacher voice, well, I want to be sure that everything's okay at home. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what did the kids say? She said, well, we had a very odd prayer request today. I thought, oh, no. She said, Brian's prayer request today at school was, please help my parents. They have a tendency to catch on fire. Now that time, that's a humorous story, but it was not necessarily humorous to live through it. It was incredibly stressful. And as I look back on it, it was not stressful because we caught on fire. It was not stressful because we were trying to learn Russian. It was stressful because of a disconnect in my life. I, was a, I had all the right credentials. I was an ordained minister, a missionary. I was in a foreign country. I was telling people that Jesus is the Savior and Jesus is enough. But I was living as if Jesus plus success is enough for me. Jesus plus my reputation as a leader is enough for me. Jesus plus something else is enough for me. A big disconnect. And that disconnect revealed idols in my heart, things that I was looking to, things that I was trying to pull myself worth from besides Jesus. And the disconnect between those two was stressful, and not only stressful, but it affected relationships in my life. 
I completely forgot that Jesus is the Savior and Jesus is enough. All right, now let's look at Genesis chapter 15. Let's talk a little bit about up front, about why this is a big deal for us. This thing that happened thousands of years ago is a big deal for us today. First of all, all of us who trust in Christ are spiritual heirs of Abraham. Now, what did Abraham believe? God, you know, the, in the portion of the scripture that Ron read, the first time in the Bible where it says, someone believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. What did Abraham believe? Abraham believed that God would send a miracle son, a son that Abraham could not produce himself. And through this son, a new people would be created to the glory of God and to the blessing of the whole world. Now, there's no indication in the text that Abraham knew Jesus' name, but Abraham believed the revelation that God had given him up to that point, and God credited it to him as righteousness. Look in the New Testament, Galatians 3, 7 through 9. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. So then, those who are of, are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. And in Romans chapter 4, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus Christ our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Two chapters later in Genesis, after our chapter today, after 15, in chapter 17, God reveals even more about this covenant, and that's pertinent to us today. I'll read these verses quickly. Genesis 17, 7. Two important factors in this one verse. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offsprings after you throughout their generations for a everlasting covenant. That's the first part. The second part, to be God to you and your offspring after you. So now you've got the full picture. And now let's go back to Genesis chapter 15. Let's look at what has happened here. God told Abraham to split the two, split the animals in two and to, to stand, put them on the ground. And what that was a sign of is that was a sign of a covenant ceremony. Now, today when we go and buy a car or we have enter into a contract, we do not pledge ourselves to the debt. But in this culture, at this time, that's exactly what they did. They said, if I don't keep my word, then may I be cut in two like these animals, and normally both parties to the contract, to the covenant, would walk through the animals. And that was a sign that they were pledging their lives to keep their word. Now what's amazing here, and this is the part that really caught my attention, what's amazing here is that God himself goes through the pieces. God, represented by the, the, the smoke, and the fire, which is similar to what we saw later in Exodus on, on Mount Sinai, God goes through, and he keeps, he actually prevents Abraham from walking through the pieces by putting Abraham in kind of a fog. So Abraham knows what's going on, but he can't be tempted to get up and run through the pieces. Now, that all sounds very nice and academic, but stop and think about that for just a minute. 
God pledged his life that he would keep his word. God kept Abraham from going through the pieces signifying that God would keep both sides of the covenant. God pledges himself for his part and for Abraham's part. Let that sink in for just a minute. Let that sink in for just a minute. The incredible grace that that is. And then we know through the rest of Scripture that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this. That God has pledged to keep his covenant with his very life. It's not the first time this idea is in the Scripture, but it's maybe the most blatant, at least the earliest blatant idea. Back in Genesis 3, God tells Eve that a descendant, one of her descendants, would crush the the serpent's head. In Noah, God preserves for himself a people and a family line through which this descendant would come. Then in Abraham 12, excuse me, in Genesis 12, 15, and 17, we see Abram and renamed to Abraham and God's unfolding grace as we've talked about today. Then we get to the law in Moses. And you say, oh, that's different. That's a bunch of set of rules. No, it's all in the context of relationship. Look at the very first verse of Genesis chapter 20 where the Ten Commandments are listed. It's a relationship. I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. It's a signal that it's relationship, even in the rules. And then there's David. He teaches us that the one to come will rule as a king. And then finally, there's Jesus. The summation of all these covenants that fit together perfectly, like machined items that fit together perfectly and then bloom when Jesus comes. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, the one who was fully God, the only one who could keep the covenant and fully man, the one who had to pay the price, the one promised to Eve, the one ultimate fulfillment of what was promised to Abraham, the only one who could keep the law of Moses on our behalf, the ultimate king on the throne of David, the only sinless one who could become the Lamb of God, the one that died a violent death for us, was dead, buried, rose again, and will come again as king one day. It's all one plan. So, okay, it's all one plan. But it's all one plan that we benefit from that God has pledged himself to keep. And it's all about Jesus from the first to the last. Jesus is the Savior who glorifies the Father by saving his children and creation from the rebellion of the fall. The promised one the one who kept the law, the suffering servant, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin, and the King who reigns and the King who will reign. Now we come to the sacrament today, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, a sign and seal of God's grace to us in Christ, a sign and seal of God keeping His word, a sign and seal of God keeping both sides of the covenant in Jesus Christ. bread and the wine do not change into anything but 
they remain bread and wine. But nevertheless, Jesus is spiritually present here as the answer to all the covenants. Through the Holy Spirit, he reminds us that he is the Savior and that he is enough and helps us to grow and understand and obey him more. Now, at the beginning of the story, at the beginning of the sermon, I told you this story about this disconnect that I discovered in my life and that I still discover in my life on a daily basis. I was saying that Jesus is Savior and Jesus is enough, but I was living like Jesus plus success or Jesus plus my reputation as a leader is what it takes for me to be at peace. And not only did it distort my relationship with God, but it distorted my relationship with other people because I was trying to suck myself worth out of other people. Brothers and sisters who are here today, believers in Jesus Christ, I don't think I'm the only one in this room who forgets that Jesus is Savior and Jesus is enough. I don't think I'm the only one who says Jesus is enough but lives like Peace in my life comes from Jesus plus success. Peace in my life comes from Jesus plus my career. Peace in my life comes from Jesus plus my health. Peace in my life comes from Jesus plus my children. It's Jesus full stop, period, dot. If Jesus is God's plan, he should be our only. And if you're here today and this resonates with you, that you may have some other plus in your life, that I encourage you, along with me, to join me in the prayer, Lord, help my unbelief and help me to trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for every aspect of my life. You may be here today and not be trusting in you may be here today and be trusting in being a Presbyterian. But from Genesis to Revelation, being a Presbyterian is not God's plan. Being a good person is not God's plan. Being better than the average person is not God's plan. Jesus is God's plan. If you want to know more about that, and you want that doesn't make sense to you, but you are intrigued, then talk to Ron or me but as we come and prepare ourselves for this sacrament this visual representation and experiential representation of the gospel remember that from beginning before revelation before time began until time is meaningless God's plan is Jesus help us to trust him fully for every aspect in our life Examine yourself as I will be examining myself. Our hymn is number.